tell all the truth, but tell it slant, says Emily Dickinson. Tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Success in circuit lies. If you have a truth to tell, give it a spin. Make it interesting for crying out loud. And so that seems to be Jesus' pedagogical strategy. When he has a truth to tell, he tells us a story. We call them parables. Some of them are full-fledged short stories of hundreds of words, some of the most perfect stories ever told. And some are one-liners as pithy as this one. The disciples said to Jesus, increase our faith. And Jesus said to them, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The protagonist in James Wood's novel, The Book Against God, is a preacher's son who loses his faith, becomes an atheist, and begins writing a book. Well, he begins writing a book against God. He calls it his big bad bag, B-A-G, Book Against God. And his father is a priest in the Church of England, and the now faithless preacher's kid sees one of those monumental Anglican cathedrals in his native land and says, as we cross the broad apron of grass in front of the cathedral, I reflected that the monks and masons who built it so long ago could never have foreseen a time when many or most of its visitors did not believe in God. And yet maybe they did foresee this time, for what was the purpose of this sheer enormity, except as a kind of insurance against the skepticism of the future? Here we were, unbelievers, at the end of the 20th century, still bowing our heads before its size. And throughout Europe were these great flying buildings which lasted longer than God, flying like the flags of countries that had long since disappeared. So Christianity has given the world its most exquisite buildings, Chartres, Notre Dame, Westminster Abbey, and its most glorious music, Vivaldi, Bach, Handel, and Mozart, and its finest exemplars of humanity, St. Francis, Sir Thomas More, Martin Luther King Jr., and Mother Teresa. But all or most of that is behind us now. Now Bance has replaced Bach in our hearing, and modernity laughs at eccentrics who are willing to sacrifice their lives for something as small and silly as faith. Who could have guessed 800 years ago that the buildings would last longer than God, God's self, flying like the flags of countries that had long disappeared. So what's happened to our faith? You don't need much of it after all. Jesus says that if we had faith the size of a mustard seed, we could tell that mulberry tree over there to transplant itself into the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, which is an odd image, and Jesus must have intended it to be odd so that we would always remember it. In Matthew's gospel, the image is even more spectacular. Matthew says that if we had faith the size of a mustard seed, we could move mountains. 
Now, Jesus talked about mustard, size, mustard seed size faith, of course, because he thought mustard was the smallest seed indigenous to Palestine. Now, he was wrong about that, but let's cut him some slack. He was, after all, not a botanist, but a preacher. So let's look at what he was trying to say. Where is your faith, he would ask us. You don't need much of it. If he'd known about Aaron Dottie Roy's 1997 novel, he might have said, ours is the God of small things. God doesn't need much to work with, so give God what you've got. And so when it comes to our faith, it seems to me we have at least two options. We can put large faith in small things or our small faith in large things. Maybe that's why the cathedrals are empty, because we put our large faith in small things. Maybe we have huge self-confidence. Maybe after friends, family, colleagues, and God have all disappointed you for years, you come to the conclusion that the only one you can rely on is yourself. And maybe we cruise around for a while under our own power and spectacular professional accomplishment but then through no fault of our own or perhaps by some dazzling ineptitude of our own making, it all comes crashing down and falls apart. Or maybe you've placed huge faith in a small spouse. Maybe you've allowed Hollywood's film industry or New York's publishing industry or L.A.'s music industry or some high school infatuation to convince you that to be happy in life, all you need is love to quote the most famous musicians of them all. And so you place all of your huge faith in life's great romance. But then you find to your astonishment that the person you marry is just as human as you are. Now I understand this temptation. Perhaps you're like me. You are married to a life partner than whom none greater can be conceived. Perhaps she is perfect. Still, if you expect your spouse to be your divinity or your savior or your comprehensive meaning, you're going to stress out your marriage seriously. I talk about this with the couples I meet with before they get married. I talk about messianic marriage. In a messianic marriage, someone marries a partner because he is sure she can solve all his problems, fix all his flaws, flaws, end all his unhappinesses, save his soul, and leave him to paradise. Messianic marriages. These marriages do not prosper. Expectations are too high. Or, what if the largest thing you can put your faith in is your country? That's something to think about in Independence Day weekend, isn't it? Maybe like Jesus' contemporaries, you have placed all your faith in the magnificent eternal city, the invincible Roman Empire with all its military might. It might be eternal. It's almost lasted 2,000 years now. It might be almost eternal, but not quite. Eventually, it disintegrates from pressures without and within and finally is just gone. What if you place huge faith in a small nation and it disappoints? When uh, Muhammad Ali was still Cassius Clay, he won an Olympic gold medal as a light heavyweight in boxing at the Rome Olympics in 1960. He was 18 years old. 
but even as a teenager, he'd already gotten quite a wide reputation as a cocky motormouth who would say exactly what he wanted to say, nothing more, nothing less. No one told Muhammad Ali what to say. He was uncensorable. So, a black man from the American South who would not parrot pleasant patriotic platitudes for the sake of appearance. What a perfect target for a communist reporter, right? In 1960, the hottest days of the coldest war. So a sports reporter from the Soviet Union starts following Cassius Clay around Rome for a good part of the Olympics, poaching for unflattering comments about race, race relations in America. But Muhammad Ali would have nothing to do with this. He said, we have great people working on this problem and I'm not worried about it. I still think the USA is the greatest country in the world, including yours. Back home in the White House, President Eisenhower high-fives Veep Nixon. Not long after Cassius Clay returns home, he walks into a restaurant in his hometown of Louisville and they refuse to serve him because of the color of his skin. He is an Olympic deity. He can't get service in a local restaurant in his own town. He's so mad, he tells people that he throws his Olympic gold medal into the Ohio River. Actually, it turns out that wasn't true. He lost it, but the Ohio River story was a better story. So don't put your huge faith in small things fallible, temporary, human realities. So Jesus asks us to put what small faith we have in the largest thing in, the, in God, the way, the universe, which will outlast our marriages and our nations, even the eternal city. Because you see, if you put your faith in the right thing, you don't need much of it. Our faith needn't be significant, only its object. God can do a lot with what little we have. So, I, you know, I doubt there's a person in this room who is proud of her faith, who thinks that his walk with God is perfect and finished. There are days when we look out at this breathtakingly beautiful but perpetually wounded world and think that there can be no other explanation for its existent, existence than a gigantic cosmic blunder. After Orlando and Istanbul and Bangladesh and Iraq, what else could we say? How else can we explain that? There are days when we listen to Jesus' impossible demands and think him a beautiful dreamer, but impossibly out of touch. There are days when we come to church and sing the hymns and cross our fingers behind our backs because we don't believe a word of it. But when we give up on our faith or distrust our faith, maybe we're misunderstanding exactly what faith means. If we persist in thinking that faith is believing the right things, then there will never be enough of it to please ourselves or God. If we persist in thinking that faith means giving your intellectual assent to impossible propositions, we will disappoint ourselves and God. Faith has nothing to do with what we can wrap our heads around. The virgin birth, the resurrection of the body, the infallibility of the Pope or the inerrancy of Scripture. 
Faith has almost nothing to do with the head. What faith means is what we can give our lives to. As Marcus Borg puts it, you can believe all the right things and still be miserable. Yes, you know somebody like that? Do you remember a few years ago when the correspondence and the journal of Mother Teresa of Calcutta was made public by the Roman Catholic Church? We all thought Mother Teresa of Calcutta was one of the most faithful persons who had ever lived. How else could you devote the entirety of your life to those whom the rest of the world had rejected? But then many years after her death in 1997, the church made these letters to her confessor public. And it turns out that for all of those 50 years, for the entirety of her adulthood, for the entirety of her ministry to the poor of Calcutta, Mother Teresa had been living in a universe empty of deity. The silence of God. She hadn't heard from Jesus for 50 years. And someone put it like this. In these letters, Mother Teresa doubts everything but her work. Yes, she doubts everything but her work, everything but her calling. And that's enough because her work is the kingdom of God. And so maybe the same with you. Doubt everything but your calling, everything but your work. With mustard seed-sized faith, Mother Teresa built the kingdom of God in the gutters of Calcutta. Eliezer Wiesel died yesterday. He was 87 years old. It was because of him that we knew about the enormity of what happened in the Holocaust. His memoir of Auschwitz, Night, one of the most important books of the 20th century. Despite all he'd witnessed and experienced, he never gave up on God. He said one time, if I told you that I believed in God, I would be lying. If I told you I did not believe in God, I would be lying. Mustard seed faith. I heard this on the radio going to work one day, right after they played a faith Hill song. You know who Faith Hill is, right? She sells millions and mil millions of country music records. A couple of years ago, People Magazine called her one of the most beautiful people on earth, and they were right. Faith Hill is married to another megastar of country music, Tim McGraw. Tim McGraw is the son of this accomplished Major League Baseball pitcher, Tug McGraw. And they had a very uneasy, uncomfortable relationship, very checkered relationship between father and son. So Tim and Faith's marriage is one of the most scrutinized on earth. Rumors all the time of breakups, but as far as I know, they're still together after 20 years. Someone once asked Tim McGraw how he managed to get through the ups and downs, the highs and lows, the controversies of an uneven life the pressure of celebrity. And Mr. McGraw instantly replied, faith. Gentlemen, on two levels, that is the right answer. <laughs> when someone asks you how you've made it all these years, just say your wife's name, Kathy. 
think it was a wise answer Tim McGraw gave. Faith is not certainty or knowledge. It is, as Luther put it, a joyful bet on the goodness of God. It's knowing what the right thing to do and doing it. So we can put large faith in small things or we can put what little faith we have in the only reality in the universe worthy of our allegiance. And oh, what wonders we'll see when we give our hearts and lives to the God of small things. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, amen.